sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I love your begin with prayer as we always do. Lord, we love you and we thank you for thy word. God, I thank you for people who have come to this place to learn the word of God together, Lord. And we want to learn your word because you are your word, Lord. And as much as we know, Lord, about you, we find in your word. And I want you to illuminate our hearts. I want you to illuminate our minds, our understanding, God, with the light of the world. I pray in Jesus' name. Let us leave this place with a better understanding of who you are and what you did for us and for our redemption. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So once again, thy word, Exodus part five, and we will be looking at the Passover. And we're in Luke chapter 22 and verse 14. And the Bible reads, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Think about that. That means that the Passover was not fulfilled that night. Not 100%. And uh, that he will... Not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. But there is coming a time where he will eat it again. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. We talked a little bit about the old covenant, which we call the Old Testament, and the New Testament, last time we were together. And we talked a little bit about what I like to call the first supper, when they saw the God of Israel. And I'm going to leave that alone until we come to it, and uh, then we will look more closely at that. But that night, Jesus and his apostles shared the Passover. In Hebrew, it's Pesach. Pesach. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. And that's what they would do. They would purge all the leaven from all of the houses uh, on the 15th day of the month of Nisan, the day after Passover. And uh, it says, uh, as ye are, uh, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, 
is sacrificed for us. So Paul told the Corinthians that Christ is our Passover who is sacrificed for us. The Passover commemorates the time when God saved the nation of Israel from bondage and slavery to Egypt. Uh, As we learned last time, for 400 years, God's people had been in bondage until God sent the prophet Moses uh, to them with signs and wonders. Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, had refused to set the people of God free. And uh, Moses, uh, with the power of God, God by the hand of Moses sent ten plagues upon the whole land of Egypt. And the final plague sent by God was worse than all the plagues before. The Lord would pass through Egypt that night, killing all the firstborn of men and animals in Egypt. The plagues were intended for Egypt. They were not intended for the people of God. And God, in His mercy, provided Israel a way of escape. The blood of a lamb upon the lintels and doorposts of their homes. And that night, the people of Israel huddled in their homes, no doubt hearing the cries of uh, Egyptian families as death took the lives of the firstborn in every household. There were the shrieks of Egyptian mothers and the cries of fathers, and no household in all the land was immune to it. The firstborn in the palace of Pharaoh died like all the rest. But when the Lord looked down upon the houses of the Israelites, he saw the blood of the Lamb, and he passed over them. The children of God had applied the blood of the Lamb to the lintels and the doorposts of their houses, and they would be saved. And then the Passover was commanded by God to be a holy day, a memorial to commemorate the birth of the nation of Israel. It was a supper called the Lord's Passover. We find this in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 5. There are also other various places in the Bible, but I will read a little bit from there. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, between the two evenings at dusk is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord, Seven days ye shall eat unleavened bread. There are actually three ceremonies going on at the same time here. We have the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and, uh, and, and the uh, Feast of First Fruits. God carefully laid out the prescription for Passover. And can I tell you that God does not waste time? doesn't waste your time. He doesn't waste my time. He does not do anything without a reason for it. And the institution of the Passover, indeed, the institution of all the feasts and all the rituals that we find in the Bible that God commanded Israel to follow were instituted for a reason. For some of you guys who love to talk about prophecy, all the prophecy buffs, look at the calendar of Israel. It will shed a lot of light on your prophecy because it is in itself a prophecy. And this is one prophecy on that calendar, the Passover, 
the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. And all together, they generally just call the Passover. The Passover correlates with our calendar at around Easter. And what we celebrate as Easter is the end of the Passover period called the Feast of First Fruits. Jesus was the first fruits of the harvest. See, Jesus fulfilled the Passover. He fulfilled the Feast of Unleavened Bread and he fulfilled the Feast of First Fruits. He is the first fruits of the harvest of those who will be resurrected from the dead to eternal life. And that's us. So he's the first one of us to be resurrected to eternal life. Other people had been raised from the dead, but not to eternal life. He's never going to die again. He's been alive ever since he got up out of that grave, and he'll be alive forevermore. And he's the first fruits we follow. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20 uh, to 23 uh, reads, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came by man, by man also came the resurrection from the dead. For us in Adam all die. Because Adam died, all those who are born of Adam all die. Even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Afterwards, those who are Christ will be at his coming. And the Bible calls him the firstborn from the dead in another spot and it, it, he's the first one he is the head of the body is what it says and when somebody is born normally unless it's a breech birth the first part of the human body to be born is the head jesus is the first born he, he is the head and the head was born first and you can you can uh, relish the idea and, and take joy in the fact that if the head is born, the body's going to follow. So because he was raised from the dead, the firstborn from the dead, we will be born from the dead. We're coming back again. We're going to see each other for all of eternity. So I hope you like me now. So let's examine the rules for the Passover. I listed seven rules, which is very common. We... We seem to find seven all throughout the scripture. Rule number one, they were to choose an unblemished lamb on the tenth day, and it was a yearling, a yearling lamb, on the tenth day of the month Nisan. Now that is a Hebrew month. It correlates to around April, although it does not always stay with our calendar. We have a Gregorian calendar and they have a lunar calendar. And even the, the calendar that they're using now is not correct because they pretty much hooked it to the Gregorian calendar. So uh, the, the, the old calendar has pretty much been lost to history. But they were to slay the lamb on the 14th day of the month Nisan. Now, they choose the lamb on the 10th day and they have to hold the lamb for four days and then they slay the lamb. This is to test the lamb, to look at the lamb, to make sure that the lamb is a good lamb. It's a perfect lamb. There are no blemishes. And they watch this lamb for four days. And on the 14th day of the month, they slay the lamb. Number three, the lamb must be slain near the tabernacle or the temple. So as time went by and the temple became located at Jerusalem, then the lamb had to be slain near Jerusalem. 
the lamb must be slain between the evenings. This is just a nice way of saying at, at dusk. Basically, between the two evenings would be, the evening would be the sunset, and then when it actually became dark, that would be considered the second evening. So, at dusk. Uh, the, uh, the lamb must be eaten with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. No bones, number six, of the lamb are to be broken. At any time, you, uh, throughout the entire feast, you could not break a bone of the lamb. Number seven, finally, the lamb could see no corruption. In other words, it could not be left to decay. You had to eat it all in one sitting, and if you could not, then you had to burn the entire thing with, uh, with fire. It was not allowed to see corruption, which is just a fancy word for decay. And the focus of thy word is on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul called him our Passover. So let's look closely at the Passover rules in relation to Jesus. I want to look at the first rule. The first rule is the, it's a spotless lamb, a yearling, chosen on the 10th day of the month Nisan. And now we're going to the time of Jesus Christ. Jesus, on the 10th day of Nisan, went to the city of Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem would have been packed. There would have been millions of people in and around Jerusalem. Passover is one of the three Festival, festivals or feasts when the entire nation of Israel gathered in Jerusalem. And people by the millions were thronging in the city. They'd be choosing the Passover lambs to be held and examined for four days. And on this day, four days before Passover, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Uh, John recorded in John chapter 12, and verse 12, that a great multitude had come to the feast. And when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, fear not. Daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now the cries of the people, Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, are found in the 118th Psalm. That's part of the Hallel. The Hallel is Psalm chapter 113 to Psalm 118, which are Passover Psalms. These are the Psalms that are sung during Passover. And they cried out, Ho. Zana. Now, this is actually a transliteration of two Hebrew words, Hoshia and Na. And it, it's Hoshia Na. Hoshia Na. And it literally means save now. And with that now, it's, 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 it's kind of like a plea. So, save now, please. They're crying out, save now, please. And the king of Israel, riding on a donkey, is found in Zechariah 9. And verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. The Lord fulfilled Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. And for four days, 
the Passover lambs were inspected for any blemishes. For four days, Jesus was continually challenged, and you'll read that in your Bible, by the lawyers. He was tested by the lawyers. He was tested by the scribes. He was tested by the Pharisees. He was the chosen Passover lamb without spot or blemish. And by the way, finally, he was tested by the Roman authorities. And Pilate declared, I find no fault in this man. He was declared a spotless, perfect, unblemished lamb. Rule number two, on the 14th day of the month Nisan, slay the lamb. The lamb was to be kept and examined from the 10th day of the month Nisan to the 14th day. Then the lamb was to be slain. So no, those of you who have been in thy word, you've been with us throughout Genesis. And we calculated the genealogies in the book of Genesis. And this might go against what a lot of people were taught in their science classes. But it doesn't matter. Science actually is on our side on this. And we'll go through this, but not today. In calculating the genealogies in the book of Genesis, we find that from the creation account in Genesis uh, to Abraham was 2,000 years. We further find that from Abraham to the Lord Jesus Christ were another 2,000 years. That's 4,000 years. And the Israelites were instructed by God to choose the lamb on the 10th day and to slay the lamb on the 14th day of the month. Can I tell you that the lamb was chosen, held aside, and slain after four days. Now Peter said something in 2 Peter 3, 8. He said, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Jesus was slain on the 4,000th year from creation on the fourth day. I could go deeper into this, and for the sake of time, I won't, except to say uh, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in His wings. That's Son, S-U-N, not Son, S-O-N. And the Hebrews took that scripture, uh, it's, and... And they said the Son was created on the fourth day, and they believed that the Messiah then would arise on the fourth day, and that he would have healing in his wings. That word for wing is kanaf, and kanaf means the wing of a bird, but it can also mean the wing or the edge of a garment. And Jesus arose on the fourth day, and the Bible says he had healing in the border, in the hem of his garment on the fourth day. So the lamb was to be slain on the fourth day, which was the 14th day of the month Nisan, but from the, you held it from the 10th day to the 14th day. That's four days that the lamb was prepared for sacrifice. And of course, Jesus is the lamb prepared from the foundation of the earth. Let us turn our attention to the events which led up to the crucifixion. So I want to start six days before the Passover. Jesus arrived in Bethany, and I'm going to read out of John chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. The Bible reads, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, 
who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. I don't know if you all can smell it, but right now there's a aroma in this room of spikenard. It's coming from over here. And that's the aroma that would have filled the room when Mary washed the feet of Jesus with oil of spikenard. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. This is interesting uh, when we read in Leviticus chapter 2 and elsewhere about the grain offering. And, with, and the grain offering was flour, fine flour, and it was often baked as unleavened bread or what we call matzo. And I have some matzo uh, behind me. This is matzo. It's unleavened bread. Now, this grain had to be anointed, and it had to have oil poured up on it. Uh, the basic Hebrew word for oil is shimon, and it, it speaks of anointing. The Hebrew term hamashiach, is anointed. So when we say Jesus Christ in Hebrew, you would say Yeshua HaMashiach. And that is Jesus the Anointed One. And it's transliterated as Messiah. Um, and when I say transliterated, what I'm saying is that they're trying to take the Hebrew word and sound it out. They're not trying to translate it. They're simply trying to sound it out. So they try to sound out the Hebrew word Mashiach. And that's where we get Messiah or Messiah. You understand? That's actually how we got the name Jesus. They transliterated the name Yeshua, and Yeshua became Yasua, and then they, the Ya at the beginning began to sound like a J, and it became Jesua, and then they added an S at the end later on in Greek, and it became Jesus. But the actual name of, uh, in Hebrew is Yeshua, and the transliteration became Jesus. Well, the same thing here. Mashiach means the anointed one. The Hamashiach is the anointed one. And he is Jesus the Messiah, which means that he is anointed with oil. And Jesus was anointed by Mary for burial, the Bible says, just as the oil was poured upon the bread sacrifice. And remember, Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. She anointed it with oil to fulfill Leviticus. Everything that Jesus did, I'm going to tell you right now, everything that he did was to fulfill the Old Testament. And what, one thing that I want you to pay attention to as you read your Bible are the words, at the time of the feast, or after the feast, or on the, on the day, a great day of the feast, or on the last day of the feast. Because the Lord is letting you know there's something here I want you to dig into. And you have to learn what feasts they're talking about. Go back and learn a little bit about those feasts, which, of course, we will learn about here in thy word. We will cover all of the feasts as we go. And when we have the ceremony of foot washing, I want you to imagine that you are not washing the feet of your brother or your sister. As Mary washed the feet of Jesus, I want you to imagine that you are washing the feet of Jesus. I've heard people say, I'm not washing anybody's feet. You're right. You're not just washing anybody's feet. You are washing the feet of a member of the body of Jesus Christ. 
you are washing the feet of Jesus. And the beautiful thing is, the body of Christ then will in turn wash your feet. Isn't that beautiful? As the Lord washed our feet. Now Jesus spent the beginning of the 14th day of Nisan, which is the Passover, with his dis disciples in an upper room. That's where we're at. We're in an upper room. And uh, where he had what we call the Last Supper. This Last Supper is the Passover. That's what Jesus had. He had the Passover Supper. Now, Passover customs have changed throughout the years among the Jewish people. But thankfully, we know by the writings of all the ancient Jewish rabbis what the customs were, how they changed, and what were they, they were like during Jesus' time. And one of the traditions that Jesus and his apostles would have followed is the four cups. Each person drinks four cups of wine on the Passover. And the meanings of these cups are taken from the words of God uh, found in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. And that scripture reads, Wherefore saith unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and cup one, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you out. And that cup one is called the cup of consecration. I will take you out of Egypt. Simply put, God intervenes and he brings you out and he provides the miracles and the plagues that are necessary to bring you out of Egypt. Cup number two is found in the same uh, verse. I will rid you out of their bondage. Now, cup number two is called the cup of deliverance. God is going to deliver you from your bondage. In short, I took you out of Egypt. I took you out of the world. Now I'm going to take the world out of you. You're no longer going to be bound. You're no longer going to have the idea that you're a slave, that you are uh, uh, addicted, that you are, uh, that you are in bondage, but you will be delivered. God wants you to be delivered, and God has the power to deliver you. We don't have to live under the sins that kept us in bondage in the world, but He will deliver us. Amen. Number three, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. This is cup number three, the cup of redemption. And he says, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. The cup of redemption is the cup that they drink after the meal. The cup of redemption is typically signified the slaying of the Passover lamb. And Jesus called this cup, the cup of redemption, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Our redemption is the blood of Jesus. And when Jesus later prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was this cup, that he would have been alluding to in Matthew 26, 39. And that reads, He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. 
If it is possible, can I tell you that if there is any other way that we could be saved, then God didn't answer the prayer of Jesus Christ that night. There's no other way. Your works are never going to save you. Keeping the law of the Old Testament is never going to save you. There's only one thing that's going to save you, and that's this cup. This cup of redemption. The new covenant in my blood. And Jesus said, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. May that be our prayer. Lord, not as I will, but as you will. Most scholars believe that Jesus stopped at the third cup, the cup of redemption. Remember, the Passover is not fully fulfilled, and it will not be fully fulfilled until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. I will know I will, I, until we come into the kingdom of God. And he will drink the fourth cup with us. We're going to complete that Passover one day. We're going to be part of the Last Supper one day. We're going to drink that cup. And that cup is called, cup number four, the cup of praise. This is taken from Exodus chapter 6 again. I will take you to be my people. I will take you to be my people. Jesus is coming back for us. He will drink that final cup with us in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said he will not eat the Passover with them again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And that's when the Passover will be completely fulfilled. And that's when we're standing there and we're looking at him, the Lamb of God who took away our sins and we're going to drink that cup of praise and he will say I will take you to be my people and so shall we ever be with the Lord so can somebody say amen to that because that's exciting as recorded in Matthew 26 and verse 29 but I say to you I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He's going to do that with us. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, what hymn did they sing? Jesus sang. You know, it's kind of strange to think that Jesus sang, but he sang. And he would have actually sung all throughout this meal. He would have sang, as I mentioned before, the Hallel beginning with Psalm 113 and ending with Psalm 118. The last psalm that they would have sung is Psalm 118. So let's look at some of these verses. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read them in Hebrew and then translate them into English. So I've got to make this a little bit bigger because Hebrew is very small. So Psalm 118 and verse 21 reads, Odechahi anitani vetehili Yeshua." And the reason I read this in Hebrew is because it is translated like this in, in English. I will give thanks to you for you have answered me. And you have become my salvation. But see that word for my salvation is Le Yeshua. Jesus was singing his own name. 
you have become Yeshua. Yeshua means salvation. And this used his name. Psalm 118, 21. I will give thanks to you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. I don't think the apostles understood what they were singing when they sang at that moment. Psalm 118, 22. Evan ma'asu habonim ha'ita la roshpina. A stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And Jesus told the parable of the wicked vine dressers in Mark chapter 12, ending with the death of the man who owned the vineyard, the death of the man's son, where they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard. And Jesus said, Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And he sang that that night. This one you will know. You sing it in church. Zehayom asa Yehovah ganila venismechavo. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What day? That day. That very day. The Lord made the most important day ever upon planet Earth was the day that Jesus Christ would die upon a cross. Psalm 118.25 Ana Yehovah Hoshiana Hosanna Ana Yehovah Hoshiana Please, O Lord, do save us. When they cried out Hosanna, like I said, that's a transliteration. The, the writing was in Greek, and the Greek writer just took a Hebrew word, actually two Hebrew words, and he, he, he transliterated it, but it's Hoshiana. Please save us. And this is what the crowds were crying as he rolled on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Amen. And Psalm 118:26, Baruch Hababa Shemaronai. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And the last one they would have sang was, El Yehovah vaya er lanu asruhat. Ba'avotim ad karnot hamizbeach. I want you to listen to this in English. Jesus, the last thing he's saying, the Lord is God. And he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice to the horns of the altar with cords. And Jesus the light would be bound with cords, a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Now, let's look at the unleavened bread. These are flat, bland cracker-like wafers which are both striped and pierced. In fact, why don't you hand a couple of these around? Hand them around. Just keep them passing around. They are striped and pierced. If you look at them, they are, you'll see the stripes go in one way and they are pierced. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 reads, And with his stripes we are healed. 
Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 says, They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Now there are three matzos and usually are placed in what is called a matzotosh, which is a square white silk bag that is divided into three compartments. And uh, early in the cedar, in the Passover meal, the host will take the middle. Now there are three. He'll take the middle one and he will break it. In two, he'll leave one half in the middle, and he puts the other half under the cloth for the afikomen. It is always wrapped in linen, and then it is hidden in a dark place. Can I ask you, how many men were crucified that day? Three. And Jesus was the one in the middle. And they took the one in the middle and they put him in a shroud. And then they put the shr- him in the shroud into a tomb, into a dark place. John chapter 19 and verse 33 to 35. After the Last Supper, Jesus went with his disciples to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he was falsely accused. He was brought before Pilate. He was examined by Pilate. Then he was taken to the Mount Crest called Golgotha, identified as the place of the skull. And there he would be sacrificed. It was a sacrifice. It wasn't an execution. It was a sacrifice. And there Jesus walked out with a cross across his shoulder to a peak of Mount Moriah. That brings us to number three. The lamb must be killed in the vicinity of Jerusalem or the tabernacle or the temple. And here on Mount Moriah, 2,000 years before, Abraham took Isaac. Right here on Mount Moriah, the same place. Here Isaac, the son of the promise that God made to Abraham, had carried the wood that would have been for his own sacrifice. Where Jesus carried the cross, Isaac had carried the wood. And here, where Isaac submitted to the will of his father, willing to be sacrificed, obedient to his father, Jesus submitted to the will of his father, And here where Abraham announced after God spared Isaac that God would provide himself a lamb. By the way, yes, it does say that. Himself. A lamb. The lamb of God was sacrificed. Christ, our Passover. Number four, the lamb must be eaten with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. We talked a little bit about this last time we were together. While on the cross, Jesus was offered wine mixed with gall, a bitter herb or myrrh. This was placed upon hyssop, the plant used to apply the blood of the Passover lamb to the lintel and the two side posts of the houses. Number five, the lamb must be slain between the evenings or at dusk. Jesus died at dusk. And number six, no bones of the lamb are to be broken. You cannot break the bones of the Passover lamb at any time. 
Then soldiers were instructed to break the legs of the ones crucified. They broke the legs of the two men beside Jesus. But because Jesus was already dead, they did not break his legs. Now that's amazing to me. These were not Hebrew scholars. These were not followers of Jesus. These were Roman soldiers who were ordered to break the legs of those who were crucified. And they simply chose not to. They simply chose not to. And had they broken the legs of the Passover lamb, Jesus could not be the Messiah. Couldn't be. No leg, no, no bones were to be broken. Did the Romans understand the implications of the Passover? No. But they fulfilled the prophecy of Psalms chapter 34 verse 20 which reads, He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Finally, number seven, the Passover lamb could not see corruption. It could not decay. Now. It must be burned or it must be fully eaten. Now, under Levitical law, corruption or decay begins after the third day. You see how nothing is by accident. Nothing is by accident. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day and his body did not see Corruption. Psalm 16.10 reads, and, and Peter quoted this in Acts chapter 2, attributing, attributing it to the Lord Jesus Christ. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Do you know that Jesus went to hell? Now, it's not the hell that you're thinking of. Jesus went to Sheol. And I don't want to talk too much about it here. I'll probably hit it later on. But one of the greatest exoduses that ever happened, happened during this time. And we are studying the book of Exodus where the people of God were delivered out of Egypt. They were delivered from the God of this world, Pharaoh. And for those of you who missed it, it's online. They were delivered well, there used to be in Sheol, what we like to call Hades, there was a great goal fixed. And the Jews who were considered righteous by God were on one side, what we call Abraham's bosom. And we see this in the Bible when the poor man Lazarus dies and the rich man who ignored him also dies. And the rich man lifts his eyes up in hell and he's burning in flames and he looks across the way and he sees Abraham and he says, Father Abraham, can you send Lazarus over here with just, just let him dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue. And Abraham said, you can't cross to us and we can't cross to you. Well, they're not there anymore. Now Lazarus is there. But Abraham, I mean, sorry, Lazarus is not there. The rich man is there. But the, Abraham and Lazarus aren't there anymore because Jesus went to Sheol and he led them out 
with the greatest exodus that has ever happened, David was there, Abraham was there, Jacob was there, Isaac was there, Isaiah was there, Zechariah was there, John the Baptist was there. Can I tell you who else was there? There were two thieves on an old rugged cross. One uh, next to Jesus on the right, the other next to Him on the left. And one, and, and they were mocking Him. And then finally one repented of His mockery and He looked over and He said, This has to be the Messiah. And He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. And one went to Abraham's bosom and the other the mocker he went to the other side could you imagine being the one who mocked him and lifting your eyes up and looking across the way and the guy who had been crucified with you is standing there and next to him is the Lord Jesus Christ and he says we're getting up out of here I'm telling you that thief on the cross in his last moments, when he made that right decision, he, I mean, what a decision to make. I think he might have been the last soul ever to go to Abraham's bosom. Amen. Anyway, we'll get to that when we get to that. Praise the Lord. I'm going to say that a lot because there's just so much to cover. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. His body did not see corruption. This do in remembrance of me. Now this is the Passover. When Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me, he was talking about the Passover. And we have emblems of the Passover behind us. We call this the communion table because I, my wife and I were able to set it up. I made it very Jewish. Now I don't believe in following the law. I don't follow the law. Jesus redeemed me from the law. Okay, the law, he annulled the law with his death. He gave me a new covenant. However, the Jewishness of the Passover cannot be denied. And we do this in remembrance of him. Now, will you come with me to the foot of the cross? Because that's what this is behind me. Behind me is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is his body that is striped, that is pierced, that is broken. It is His blood that is shed for us. That's what communion is. Can you come with me to the foot of the cross? Can you look up at Him? Do you see Him? He's a mass of blood, torn tissue. Isaiah 53.3 says, He has no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But why? Why is he the perfect lamb? without spot, without blemish, without sin, who never did anything wrong, who never did anything but show love to everyone, to his enemies. Why is he hanging there? Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs, and he carried our sorrows. 
Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was up on him. And with his stripes we are healed. If you need to be healed, By his stripes. You are healed. When you take this, don't just take it. It's not just bread. So this is my body broken for you. And you say, Brother Taylor, is it really his body? By faith, you're partaking in his body. I don't know how to define that. But if you will, by faith, say, Lord, I am partaking in the body that was broken for me. And it's striped and it's pierced. You may find healing when you take communion today. He was wounded for our transgressions. With the stripes we are healed. Look up at him. He's there for you. He's up there for me. I don't want you all to have to drink that. Eat that. This is the blood of the new covenant. Now, Brother Taylor, is this really the blood of Jesus Christ? I'm not saying it is. But if you take it by faith, Lord, I'm partaking in your blood. I'm applying it to my life. I'm putting it up on the doorpost of, and the lintel of my own house, oh God. I'm putting it up on my family. Now this might just say wine in a cup. But the blood of Jesus Christ will be applied to you by faith. Jesus was punished that we might be forgiven. Jesus was wounded that we might be healed. Jesus became sin. That's what the Bible says. That you and I might be made righteous. Not with our own works of righteousness. But with His righteousness. Jesus died that we might share in his resurrection and in his life. He was made a curse. And I, can I tell you that many of us are probably living under a curse. Maybe that's why things just don't work out in your life. And then there's the curse of the law. Many of us are living under the curse of the law. Those of you who want to keep the law, and I see it every once in a while, somebody says, hey, uh, we need to do this, we need to keep the Sabbath, we need to do that, we need to do that. All right, go ahead, keep the law. You've got to keep all 613 commandments. Because if you break one, according to the book of Deuteronomy, if you even break one, you are under the curse of the law. Just one. That means if you keep six, 612 perfectly. You break one, you're cursed. That's why you don't try to live under the law. I'm not living under the law. You're never going to see me probably with a prayer shawl unless I'm showing you what it's like. I'm not under the Old Testament. But I'm under the New Testament. I'm under the blood. Amen. Jesus endured our poverty. Poor, being poor is not a good thing. I was raised thinking that, well, because I'm Pentecostal, being poor is a good thing. We're poor, everybody's rich, they're educated, we're uneducated, but we're better because of it. No, we're not. 
If being poor is so good, go wish it on your child. Child, I'm gonna, right now I'm going to pray for you that God keeps you poor every day of your life. You're going to be living paycheck to paycheck. But that's not the will of God. Jesus endured our poverty. On the cross, He had nothing. They even took His garments from Him. He was naked on the cross. He was shamed on the cross. By the way, he endured our shame that we might share his glory. That's what you're doing. When you're taking communion, you tell yourself these things. And I know one of these, two of these, three of these have hit you. I need that in my life. Jesus endured our re. Rejection. We were rejected by the Father. We were rejected by God. We were sinful. We were enemies of God. But Jesus became rejected, forsaken, and He cried out in, 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 in the fulfillment of, of prophecy, Psalm chapter 22, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He became forsaken, rejected, that you might have His acceptance. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. How do you eat of it unworthily? You don't understand what it is. See, this is done in memorial in remembrance of what? The cross. The Passover lamb. It's a holy thing. And we when we look at that blood, we say this is not just juice, but this is the blood that's shed. This is not just bread, but this is his body broken. And we do it in faith and in reverence. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. When we wash feet, Later on tonight, discern the Lord's body. That's not just my feet you're washing. That's the Lord's feet. That's the body of Christ. And honor each other as who we are. I may not like you personally. I think half of you, if we were in the world, you wouldn't like me very much either. <laughs> but we're part of the same body, the body of of Christ. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, many even died. For if we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So I have brought this all together tonight, the Passover that we see in Exodus, with the Last Supper, and the communion that we are going to take here today. And the Passover is the communion and the communion is the Passover and the Passover is the cross of Jesus Christ and the cross is the Passover and the
communion. You are taking part in His cross. You are taking part in what He did and what He accomplished here tonight. And everything that He paid for, you can claim tonight. Amen. Lord, we love you. We thank you for that word. We're thankful for, we are thankful for all that you are doing and all that you are going to do here tonight. I ask that your presence be here, your spirit here, O Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I ask, O God, that you make this real to us, that we can see you on that cross that we can see the price that you paid for us and take part in your death Lord in your burial Lord and in your resurrection I pray in Jesus name Amen The word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword The word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart